0: I want to start off with a psalm, one that you probably know quite well, and then we'll get into our subject, um, which is biblical spirituality and sanctification. So this next 13 weeks is going to be about how to grow or personal spiritual disciplines. And I forgot to go get my book off my shelf. Um, Yeah, it's not a big deal. I'll bring it next time. I'm not entirely sure where it is. That's part of the problem. Um so that's where we're going. We're going to do for the next thirteen weeks talk about spiritual spiritual disciplines. We're calling the class how to grow because I think it's I think it's a little less intimidating, to be honest. And disciplines sounds gonna
1: have a graphic with a flower and
0: a you rain coming down my it. You're <laughs> so mean. <laughs> making fun of my graphics. <laughs> Just a question. No, I'm not doing that. Uh, not, not really going to do it. But let's leave with a psalm and then we're going to pray. So this is Psalm 101. And I want you to hear what the Lord says through David. It says, I will sing of steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when you will? Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, and they will dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father, in heaven, we are so grateful for you are steadfast in your love and faithfulness toward us. Lord, even after we walk, after things that are completely worthless, you still hold us fast. You still continue to call us home through your word and your spirit and your people. And we're grateful. We're grateful that you have given us an opportunity to be able to study your word in a slightly different fashion today. Lord, and we're grateful that you have um, given us the opportunity to be able to uh, just Learn to live in light of your word, or let it be true, and say of all of us that I will sing of your steadfast love. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I do need you to go to my office and get my. There's two stacks of. you have to here. There's two stacks of handouts. The one on the left. that will say class one. I have a handout for you. If you, if, you want, um, if you want to look at it on your phone instead of paper, if you go to southsidebrandon.org slash adults and scroll down, you'll see handout number one. And I'm not sure what I named it, but it's there uh, underneath the adult discipleship page. So if you want the paper one, he's bringing it. Uh, and I suggest you use it so that you can follow along because we're going to move quick very quickly, and I'm going to try and make it not boring. I'm joking, it's not boring, I promise. I'm, I'm setting the bar low, I'm starting the bo- setting the bar low, if you see, it's easy to step over. Um, there you go. So what, tell me, when I say spiritual disciplines, what do you think I mean? What sorts of things do you think of, and what do you think de- that definition of spiritual disciplines is?
2: Like things that you do in order to continually grow in godliness and to know
0: God more. Things you do to grow in godliness and know God more. I, I like that definition. Anybody want to add? Types would be like prayer. 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 Meditation. Med- meditation. Worship. Worship. Killing, sin. Killing sin. That is definitely a spiritual discipline. It's not one we'll cover necessarily, but all these things are designed to do that. That is the implication of everything we are doing. What about, anybody else have any other ideas of what spiritual disciplines might be? How about just Bible reading? Simple, right? Bible reading. Uh, What about evangelism? Fasting, service, stewardship, confession of sin. If you turn on the back, you'll see on your handout, every one of the things that we are actually going to cover over the next 13 weeks. On the back of it, it has like a schedule, so yes, make sure Miss Valerie gets one. So we are going to talk about two things today in broad spectrum. Okay, One is personal spiritual disciplines, and the other one is sanctification and how spiritual disciplines help and aid in our sanctification. Okay, everybody with me? Here we go. So, uh, first, we're going to talk about biblical spirituality. What is that? What is that? Because among Christians in these recent de- decades, the notion of spirituality has been completely emptied of its meaning. Tell me some examples that you've heard of. What, what, if you kind of understand what I'm saying, what, what's an example that you can give me? It's been em- spirituality's been emptied of its meaning. Speaking in tongues.
2: So Speaking as proof of-
0: Okay, yeah, I wasn't going there, but that's true. That's not twisted. i some people in downtown Tampa that were like, if you're a Christian, that means you don't sin
2: anymore. So if you're oh sinning, you're not a Christian. that? I wish well, that true. well, you can become one again. I think. just ask um, Because uh, i heard them say, like, the Holy Spirit can't be where there is sin. So like, if you sin, then the Holy Spirit's gone, but you can get them back.
0: Interesting. Like Yo-yo Christians. Yo-yo Christians. Good enough. <laughs>
2: that's yeah,
0: yeah. So people often. How about this one? People often disassociate themselves from any type of organized religion, and they say this: "I'm spiritual, but not religious."
2: Mm-hmm. Or they pursue like worshiping creation rather than the creator.
0: Yes, okay. I was uh, having a conversation with a guy yesterday who. That's exactly he. He basically elevates animals to the level of a human. And so an animal, he'll say that they don't have a soul, but they are actually more worthy of life than babies um, in the womb. So so, So this is the how kind of backwards, and that's his spirituality. He says, this is what I think is worthy. This is what I think that is spiritually good for me and the world, is so that we can take care of our animal brethren hard for me to hear and because I'm like bro that's that's so short-sighted but how many people actually go and they look at animals and they say look at that poor poor doggy on that A- ASPCA commercial right those commercials grow up with them by the way they made the same commercial for Ethiopian kids and they're both equally effective guess when, which one grows well, except for this which one grows the most money the dogs the dogs the dogs. Think about it. Spiritual, but not religious. It's just evacu- it's just evacuated of all of its meaning, right? Spirituality, and so we've got to be careful.
2: But it's basically boils down to Romans one: worshiping and serving. One hundred percent. More than the
0: creator, it's idolatry. One hundred percent. And so, all spirituality if something you'll hear. All spirituality that is not tied to Christ is idolatry. It's proof that you are dead in your sins and trespasses. Right, And so as we talk, you'll hear that over and over. So Christians, we think of it a little bit differently. Christians must let Scripture determine what spirituality is. Otherwise, the pursuit of spirituality can devolve into nothing more than a pursuit of an experience or a feeling. So spiritual disciplines in that avenue, where it's just like pursuit of experience and feeling, can be merely just means to an end. Right, it can be techniques that enable us to attain whatever experience or whatever feeling, and that's pretty useless. Camp High—that's a great example. The Camp High is a great example, especially for those of us who grew up in the area era of like I went to the Billy Graham Crusade. You guys have never seen one of those? These two have. I've been I've been to them. So like uh, I was there with Salty and with everybody at Ray J when Billy Graham came this last time and how how emotionally laden that was and how burdensome that became but I know that Billy Graham wasn't trying to do that necessarily anyway all I have to say is spiritual disciplines are much more than just trying to attain an experience so before we begin to discuss what spiritual disciplines are first we need to ask these two questions what does it mean to be spiritual? And second, since there is a wide range of people and ideas claiming the word spiritual, should Christians even use the word? So should we even use the word? And let's answer the, first, the second question first. The answer is unequivocally yes, right? Christians should use the word spiritual. Uh, this guy, very smart dude named Michael, Michael Haken in his book called The God Who Draws Near, he writes that the Latin term spiritus is the word where we get the English term spirituality. And spiritus is a word that was being used by Christians from the very beginning. Uh, they're describing how the Holy Spirit worked in their lives. I have handouts.
2: do yes. you want to? You can have it. I'm not you have it.
0: Yeah, I I don't did the thing. You did hey. And so spirituality, it is an actually a good Christian term. And it's and the understanding that it comes from the Latin spiritus um, helps us see that it's something that is been used throughout throughout time, he, he says this, he writes that the use of the word in its Latin origins helps us see that true spirituality is intimately bound up in the Holy Spirit and his work. Like, And that's his whole point of the book, right? The, uh, the God who draws near, the one who inhabits you, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, is what is you know, being called upon. And when we talk about spirituality, there is no spirituality outside of that. You cannot be spiritual without having the spirit itself in you. Everything else is pagan idolatry. So how do we know what is spiritual then? does somebody answer that for me? How do we know what is spiritual? Things not of this world. Things not of this world. Okay. Yeah, what
2: what's coming to my mind has to do specifically with wisdom. Wisdom? Uh, but not just the word wisdom, because they can, that can be abused just as much as spirituality. Mm-hmm. And that's Paul's point when he talks about the wisdom of this world. Mm-hmm. The wisdom that is from beneath is earthly, sensual, and demonic. Yeah. Whereas the wisdom which is above, from above is pure. Peaceful, peaceable, yeah. undefiled. Analyze that spirituality by that kind of standard.
0: Right. It's hard to. It's hard to get it wrong once you look at it. You're like, oh yeah. So, um, we're so what we as Christians we call spi- like spirituality. It has to be biblical. We have to understand that the Bible itself is what determines this spirituality. So the term biblical spirituality has a dual sense. First, it refers to spirituality that is, like I said, biblical and determined by the the scriptures. And number two, it refers to a spirituality that is driven by biblical content. So it comes from the Bible, right? And it is driven by the Bible. And the spirit within you is what makes you grow from that. Can I give an
2: example? comes from a rather painful conversation I had in real life with somebody close to, to us and our family, um, discussing parenting, biblical parenting. Okay. And this person referred to all of the verses that discuss parenting directly as being cherry-picked verses if you brought them up and then said that because Jesus had never been a parent, what we have to do is imagine what he would do if he were one.
0: So really it's just whatever you think exactly. the parent, parenting strategy should be.
2: But that's spiritual. Hmm.
0: Yes, absolutely. is the parent of everyone. Oh. We can look at God the Father and see how he does
2: things. And he only does what the God the
0: Father... Yeah. Christ does the only what the God the Father is doing, right? So, the ergo... So, yes, they had a problem. Let, let's talk about something that I want you to dispel in your heads. I'm saying biblical spirituality. I'm using that term, right? One of the things that we need to be careful of as Christians is to not... Fall into this trap, what's called the word concept fallacy. Okay? Word concept fallacy. We. Um, does anybody know what I'm talking about? Word, word concept fallacy? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to. Basically, what it says is if it's not said in the Bible, this is the person who's making this false statement, if it's not said in the Bible, then you can't say that the Bible says it. Here's a problem the word Trinity. Or Trinitas, or Trinitus, or any of those other variations does not exist in the Bible. But does the Trinity exist in the Bible? Yes, 100% it does. And so we, um, and you see that we're going to go there in a second. But we must be careful not to say, oh, because the Bible doesn't say that word in that place, that it doesn't apply. Right? Because we use words all the time that explain other words. Like explain larger concepts. Can you give me something, an example, before we move on? Any medical term? Any medical term. Yes, no. that's true. How about how about a biblical term that you've you've heard and you're like, oh, that just has a ton of meaning that goes with it? What do you mean by a biblical term? Any term that you would you use Trinity as a biblical term? Yeah, yeah, Trinity is a biblical term, but it is not in the Bible. Okay, and you Sola Gloria? Yes, Sola of Gloria. Solar gloria. Those, are, those are Latin terms that are actually in the Bible. So you can find those in the Bible. What about hypostatic union? Hypostatic union is not in the Bible. But what we're talking about is the God man, Jesus Christ, right? And we're talking about him and his nature and person level. I'm not going to go into that, but just because I said hypostatic doesn't mean it's immediately false what I'm saying. So don't don't think like, oh, the Bible doesn't say that word, so you can't use that word to explain the Bible. You you really want to understand and be more well-rounded to say, oh, explain to me what you're talking about. Because we both know that Jesus is both God and man, right? He is truly, truly Fully, fully, 100% God, 100% man. He is 100% of all things. He's fully, fully. You can't make him half and half and still have Jesus Christ. He can't be Jesus Christ. He cannot be the Messiah. He cannot be son of God if he is only half man and half God. He is fully, fully, truly, truly. So um, let's not fall into the trap of, oh, you used a big word um, or you used a word that's not in the passage and therefore it's not valid. Because that would just be a, what we call a word concept fallacy. So, let's not get trapped there. We're going to move on. And we're going to talk about the five, uh, I think there's five, Can somebody count them, one, two, three, four, five, six, six, yes, six, seven, seven, seven different things about what uh, the Bible says is biblical spirituality, defines as spiritual, biblical spirituality. Number one, True spirituality is centered upon knowing the triune God. Again, triune God, not in the Bible, like as far as like the word itself, triune, not in the Bible, but it does explain it. Like the Bible actually says it. It says it in one verse in fact, that a lot of people use as their like benediction verse. In Second Corinthians 13, 14 says this, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You heard all three persons? It's pretty simple, right? So we say, instead of saying three persons, one nature, or three persons, one, yeah, three person one nature, we say Trinity.
2: And the word itself was an invented word. Yes. To say a three-part tribe. Unity.
0: Unity one. Yeah, exactly. So we, and Trinitas itself is the root. So we, we've got to be careful that. We understand that biblical spirituality is focused and centered on the triune God Himself. If it is not, then it is not biblical spirituality. If it is about making you a better man solely, or a better husband solely, then you cannot be biblical spirituality. In fact, you should be asking, Give me more. Right? Because the foundation of our fatherhood is our Father. Right? The, father, the, the, the sonship of Christ gives us a model for sonship. Right? So we, we can't go out through our lives without knowing and understanding um, all that the, the God... Can you give this to Bob for me? Bob, we have handouts. Um, handouts. So first and foremost, it is centered on the triune God. Second... When we know the triune God, when we're looking at him, it consists also of knowing ourselves in light of that God or in the light of the scriptures itself. Somebody, before we get there, turn to Isaiah 6 and be ready to to read. Isaiah 6, 1 to 5, be ready to read. Um, It's only as we come to know the God of the Bible that we really begin to know ourselves. And Calvin puts it this way. He says, it is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating him to scrutinizing himself, right? So when we look at God, we see who we are in truth. Somebody read Isaiah 6 for me. Isaiah 6, one to five.
2: In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. And with two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth (coughs) is filled with his glory.
0: And he, he doesn't get it because he wanted to get it. He got it because he saw who God was. right? He understands himself in light of the one true and living God. Isaiah has seen the authority and the majesty of Yahweh. He sees himself as he really is in light of him. As all men actually are. Right? We should all be saying with Isaiah, woe is me. We are all created in God's image that we might glorify him, but we all have rebelled rebelled against our creator and fallen short of his glory. Apart from Christ, we are all spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. And therefore, if it's not God-centered, it cannot be living. The spirituality is nothing but idolatry. Make sense?
2: For the sake of avoiding the confusion, Mm -hmm. uh, could you clarify the word woe? Because I have heard believers say, oh, that just means stop what I'm doing.
0: No. Like a horse. So when Jesus pronounces woes, I think this is the best way to do it. He he goes to, he he says to the Pharisees, woes, he gives them seven woes. He's pronouncing judgment. Right? He's pronouncing judgment upon himself, or on them, and Isaiah's on doing it to himself. He's saying, judge me, O Lord. The judgment is true. Woe is me. right? And then for Jesus, he's saying, woe are you. Who, and then you can name them for the seven, seven woes. So woe is a, a, a term of judgment, a term of understanding, a term of um, confession and despair. Um, the Pharisee would never say, woe is me. Because they would look at it and say, I've already done all these things. My tassels are clean, Lord. Right, But in the reality is that they are under the same judgment um, that everybody is if they have not had Christ Jesus. Does that answer your question? Awesome. So we've seen that it's God-centered, that we must know ourselves in light of Scripture and in light of, of God, but it's also, number three, Christ-centered. When we see ourselves in light of God's holiness, we understand that we actually have a need for a Savior. And if you haven't caught on this whole first half of this talk is all about the gospel. It's all centered on the gospel, where it's found, who it's about. The Bible, God's word, bears witness about this Savior in passages like Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, where all three persons in the Godhead are mentioned, and all of it is mentioned in the past. Right? It's all set before the foundations of time, but there's a particular focus on the centrality of Christ and the Father's plan particularly in verse 9 and 10, which say this, Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his pur- purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Everything is centered on the glory of Christ. Everything known, everything unknown. And such Christ-centeredness is evident through the rest of the New Testament. And you could just only take about two seconds to think about what are the Gospels about? The life of Christ. What are the, the epistles about? How to live in light of Christ. What are, what, is, what, are, what are the writings about? Well, technically, I guess, the apocalyptic literature, the end, Revelation. What is Revelation about? It's about Christ coming. It's all about Christ And so everything that we do, we have to hold up the name of Jesus supreme in our lives. For there is no other name by which sinners can be saved, Acts 4.12. Christ is worthy to receive all power and glory and wisdom and might and honor uh, and blessing, Revelation 5.12. See, there's, the Bible is littered with, well, not littered with, it is all about Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about Christ. And so, biblical spirituality must be Christ-centered. Must be God-centered. Must be Christ-centered. We must see ourselves in light of God himself. So the question is, is after we get to this uh, next point, it is gospel centered. How can sinners be made right with this perfectly holy God? Somebody enlighten me. How can a sinner be right with a perfectly holy God? Anybody? Sacrifice? Whose? Mine? Well the righteousness of Christ closed each of us. Yes. We close, us, close us each of us if we what? That we trust and believe. We have faith and trust in in Christ as our Savior. Right? We have a need for him, right? We say with Isaiah, Woe is me. And then what happens right after that? A seraphim takes with tongs, a burning coal from the throne, and he comes and he presses it against the lips of Isaiah. Right? And that's signifying his sanctification, his purification, his justification before God. A purging.
1: Huh? A purging fire. Yes. Absolutely. It's like gold
0: that gets refined through the cauldron of uh, intense heat. 100%. But that can only happen if God himself regenerates the soul and he only does it through the the perfect power of Christ Jesus in his work and his person, through his life, his death and his resurrection and now his ascension and his priestly duties which we studied all about in Hebrews for 39 weeks. He's now doing that on your behalf if you believe in him. And that's where we rest. That's where we center our worship is on Christ and what he has done for us. Not what I am doing, but what Christ has done for me. Does that make sense? So it's got to be God-centered. we got to know ourselves in light of who God is, which is a sinner. we got to know who Christ is, so we know who the Savior is. And then we must lean into him, because biblical spirituality is first and foremost gospel-centered. You following me? Awesome. Now, a letter E if you're following along in your outline, is also this. It is a spirituality of the word itself. So, it's especially important that we emphasize this point because today it is assumed that spirituality can be something more than just the word. And that something more is more profound. For instance, the Bible has been left behind or even used to used to uh, say that these things are good. It's been those things being in favor of dreams, for feelings, ecstatic experiences, and the like. So the Bible has been completely left behind or just used to justify these, these dreams, feelings, or ecstatic experience. But the Bible itself attests to its own divine authorship, its authority, and its sufficiency. Sufficiency being the key. If biblical spirituality is to be biblical, it must be found and driven by the Bible. If you're Spirituality is outside of it. It's pretty simple. Then it is not biblical spirituality. And it is spirituality that is leading to death. Because that spirituality is not God-centered. Second Timothy, you have, in your outlines, you notice you have all the, the references I'm using. Second Timothy three sixteen through 17 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work that equipping is what personal spiritual disciplines is about that equipping is what preaching is about that equipping is what most of this stuff that we do is about we we want to equip you with the word we want to give you what god says we don't want to give you what man says i don't I, i'm full of ideas that most of them are bad so like But where it goes, and it goes where the Bible goes, that's where it's good. And so, let's make ourselves not monks. Don't hear me say that. I don't know if you, when you hear biblical spirituality, I actually think of the monks in Monty Monty, Monty Python. Yes, thank you. Jared knows the whole thing. So, I'm hearing that, and that's what I think about when I think of these things. But, uh, yeah, the, the, the completeness is there. That the word, the word that's given to us, makes us complete. We don't need 100%. anything else. It's, it's sufficient. It's all there.
2: It's sufficient for everything that we need. We don't need to come up with another idea yep. that's not in there. We don't have to pull from somewhere else. We don't have to learn from somewhere else. It, it it makes the man of God complete.
0: Man of God complete. Man of God. Read there, the man as in Adam. You are all of like mankind, right? Man and woman are part of mankind. And so we are making complete, we're made complete by the word, by the spirit, using the word in our lives. And it is sufficient for all things.
2: And as you've already (coughs) said, linking these two together, it's Christ-centered. It's Christ-centered, because the word centered, yeah. Because Paul says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image, from
0: one degree of glory to another.
2: How are we beholding the face of the Lord? Yeah.
0: If it isn't in the it's word. It's impossible. That's the point. Right? So we've already talked about God, man, Christ, gospel, and word. Okay, those have been our, my key words all the way through. Uh, but there's one more element. And that is corporate. It is a corporate spirituality Biblical spirituality is a corporate, like together spirituality, lived out in loving fellowship with other believers. There's no such a, such a thing as a believer on an island by himself, never talked to another believer or never read a word of the Bible. It's impossible. It's impossible also to say that I love Jesus and hate his church. Yes. It's impossible because guess what? The church is Christ on earth. It is the representation, the ambassador of Christ himself. It is impossible to hate the church. Now, you can hate things inside of the church. That's okay. Especially when they're evil and sinful. But it is also not, it does not compute. You, you love Christ, you love his body. You love Christ, you love his church. And if you are not setting out to worship with other believers and to love one another, then you are violating most of the commandments in the in the New Testament. Yeah. Not because I say so, but because the Bible, Paul, J- John, Peter, Jesus, they all say, Jude, James, I mean, who am I missing? Uh, yeah. But all of them, they all speak of at all of these elements in corporate terms. You and you all, y'all, for those of y'all can, who speak Southern, y'all, you say you and Yins, Yins, yeah, my, well, mine's, mine, was Yins. Uh, Ewins is is Illinois, Tennessee, Tennessee area, anyway. Wait, wait. All the point is, this whole thing is corporate. It doesn't, you can't do it individually. It's impossible. Um, and and just to put a put a cap on that part is Ephesians four eleven through thirteen says this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attained the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice it's Christ-centered. It's corporate. It requires being God-centered. That all of those elements are within Ephesians 4, 11-13. So to summarize, Understanding biblical spirituality has tremendous significance for how we think about personal spiritual disciplines. Our practice of the spiritual disciplines must be God-centered, Christ-centered, word-centered. The Bible, notice, is foundational to all of those things. If you don't know the word, the implication is you will miss it. You will not be biblical, and your spirituality will be useless. For instance, crystals. If your spirituality revolves around a crystal... I'm telling you right now, it is nothing but a rock. Inert, innate, it has nothing to do for you except for you worshiping the wrong thing. But the Bible is foundational. And so, one of the most important parts of biblical spirituality or any spiritual discipline is Bible intake. We're going to spend two weeks on Bible intake. Bible reading. How do we do this? What do we do do with the Bible? But it's not just one of many. It is the primary resource that fuels our practice for all the other spiritual disciplines. Okay, so are there any questions? Because I'm going to move fast to this next section, and I don't want to short shortchange it.
1: Well, I was just thinking through the passage Paul describes the body of Christ, where we are—you know—we're not all the foot, or we're not all the hand. First yeah,
0: Corinthians. Yes,
1: yeah. I get somewhere in there, but. Um, all too often the tendency of people Christians or otherwise tends to congregate around those they particularly know like they're all like with similar ideas and similar life experiences but very rarely venture out of that small confined group whether it's a small church like this or church of thousands yeah you, you tend to get this this separation within a, a favorite, favorite um, activities, I'll put it as... It's almost
0: like they're saying, I'm a Paul, and I'm a... No, p- no, I won't
1: go that far.
0: No, I'm, well, I am, because well, because a lot of it does filter out to filter out to I'm comfortable here. Right? The comfort of those places is, is easy. I think
1: that may be more, more doctrinal rather than actual social something. comfort. Maybe You know, where you have certain flavors of theology that may differ from Paul versus, because he does finish up that part. passage there saying I'm of Christ so is that the holy group versus Paul and Apollos or the B and C group?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well I mean I think there's a lot of implications for just dividing upon what we find as most palpable and so either uh, for instance it's, it's easier to say that we're all if we all own Jeeps that we all can be in the Jeep crew. We all have little rubber rubber duckies that we give each other. But the people without Jeeps, not so cool. I'm not going to give you a rubber ducky, right? I don't know if you've seen all these rubber ducks on the, the dashboards of Jeeps. It's a thing. I don't drive a Jeep, so, like, I don't get a ducky.
1: Well, we have very superficial
0: membership requirements into certain groups. Oh, yeah. And Jeeps would be one of them. Sorry. I'm going to move on. I got I to gotta move, because this is next part's... Hard to understand if you're not familiar. So um, sanctification in the spiritual disciplines. If you so spiritual disciplines, biblical spirituality is centered on God, centered on Christ, centered on His Word. Um, and so when we're centered on those things, something is going on inside of us. So that's where I'm going to better understand how the spiritual disciplines relate to our sanctification. Does somebody want to give me a definition for sanctification? Simple. Apart. Set apart is to be sanctified. What is sanctification? The process. It's a process of being set apart. The process right? by, by which
2: the Holy Spirit conforms us to
0: the image the of Christ. Christ. That's a more full definition. How about to be made holy? Being made holy. Right? To grow well, in holiness. Of, that's the underlying reason
1: of, that's where underlying idea. Yes. Of what that's where is, Yes. Separated sin. from sin and from...
0: Yes, but sanctification has three elements. and We're going to talk about them right now. So first, we have sanctification has a definite beginning at conversion. Okay, so you are first sanctified at conversion. Okay, what I mean by that is positional sanctification. Your standing before God is sanctified, right? Made holy, right? In Christ Jesus, you are made holy. He is our covering. He is our savior. He is all these things. But that is called positional sanctification. Now, some people will take that and run with it and say, well, because we're positionally sanctified, we are also glorified and therefore do not sin. The problem is, is I just like you to think about what you just said, because it's sinful. Because what you've done is saying, I am perfect now. And reality is, is that that idea is just haughty. It's it's uh, prideful. It, those things fly in the face of what God says about you. Right, that you're a sinner. Here's the truth: sinner saved by grace. You're a simul justus et peccator, so you're all justified and sinful at the same time, because we are growing into the likeness of Christ. If you were truly glorified, you would have seen Jesus. You'd be in heaven, or he would have been. He would have already returned, and when you see him, you will be like him. You see the correlation. But until then, you will not be perfect. Nobody is perfect so we're actually talking about uh the the ability to reorient our desires positional sanctification we cannot do that on our own but god himself must reorient us toward him right because all we're going to do is go after a lie where our prince is satan we go read ephesians 2 1 to 10 that explains positional and positional sanctification really well there's a reorientation or a desire, so that we no longer have a dominant love for sin in our lives. In fact, we have the opposite, right? We have a, a shame and a guilt about our sin, and we need Jesus. We know that we need Jesus to be changed. So, if we are in Christ, we belong to the realm of the holy, and we are sanctified definitively, by definition, in relationship to God. All right? That's what. That's kind of what makes it easy to confess sin. I say easy. Quotations. It should be easy for us to go to the Lord and confess our sins and go to one another and confess our sins because we are already sanctified. We are already put in right relationship with who God with God himself by Christ. But for whatever reason we can we say our we say that we're not worthy or I'm going to hide this because guess what Simon used to say peccator. So peccator mean sinner. Um, sinful. Not Not defined by the sin anymore, but defined by God's grace. So, number one, sanctification has a definite beginning at conversion. Number two, sanctification increases throughout life. This is what I'm talking about as progressive sanctification. So, not only are we positionally sanctified, but until we see Jesus, we are always going to be growing in grace. Growing in who God is. Progressive growth in godliness is the whole of Christian life. So there's a lot of, like, theories out there and, like, how this works, and I'm not going to explain them all to you. What I am going to say is, if you are not growing in your knowledge and your gratefulness for who Christ is, then you can guarantee that you're either stagnant or don't know Him. Okay? So the goal of the Christian life is to grow in godliness. Think, think of, uh, think of uh, Philippians... Oh, I'm sorry. I've missed my thing. Think about Hebrews 12, and it says, it says this, to lay aside lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Right? We're, we're trying to strive for something. That's an act of laying aside of that sin. But Philippians 3, 12 to 15 says this, I press on to make it my own. He's talking make it, as in the salvation. Make it my own, because Christ, as Jesus, has already made me his own. So because I was made his own, I am striving to lay aside every weight and sin. I'm moving, I'm running out of time, so I apologize. I'm moving toward godliness throughout my life. That's what the personal spiritual disciplines aid us in. They help us understand how we are to grow in Christ Jesus, how the Bible expects you to grow in godliness, grow in holiness. And number three, and finally, Sanctification is completed when Christ returns. Okay? Your sanctification is not complete. So it is positional before God. It is progressive, as in you're living your life growing in godliness. And finally, it is completed in Christ's return, or when you see him face to face. Okay? So there is no, I am perfect now. No, you need the perfect one. (laughs) And you need to ask him for forgiveness for being so prideful. because the ultimate goal of sanctification is Christ-likeness. Not me-likeness, but Christ-likeness. And we are in Christ that God has predestined us to be formed and conformed into the image of his Son. Romans 12 is pretty particular about that. Um, So, our glorification is the ultimate end. Uh, of, that God has purpose for his people. God chose us in Christ with the ultimate goal that He would, we would be holy and blameless before him and that we would appear in his presence pure and justified before him. So, sanctification, positional. It's also progressive. We're in this middle, right? If you're in Christ Jesus, you're in this middle time and then we will be made like him, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, the way James talks about it. Uh, And finally, our last thing. We have implications for our practice of spiritual disciplines and growing in godliness. Number one is we practice spiritual disciplines because we have already been sanctified, like we've been talking about. We've already been sanctified, so we practice the spiritual disciplines. We, number two, need to grow in godliness. Because that's what God calls us to do, grow in godliness. He also says to make disciples, but along making disciples, that's a part of growing in godliness. And number three, we, grow, we practice the spiritual disciplines because our hope of glory is in Christ, and it is certain. Because God has saved us, positionally sanctified, us apart wholly in his name, we are guaranteed to grow in godliness. And in, in that guarantee, as we pursue Christ and he brings us along, we are guaranteed to be at his right hand with him forever. There is no other reason to pursue spirituality at all. In the main, it must be centered on Christ Jesus and God himself through the word. So a biblical understanding of spirituality and sanctification is vital for the right practice of spiritual disciplines. And as we've seen, biblical spirituality and sanctification both have their foundation in Christ and his gospel. So we need to guard against any legalism Legalistic view of the spiritual disciplines. I'm going to explain it for you. If you didn't read your Bible this morning, it's okay. There's grace for that. But a legal, legalistic view would say, if you didn't read your Bible this morning, oh, you might be backsliding. You hear the difference? One is law. The other one has grace attached. So you should want to grow in grace and read your Bible because God's already saved you and you want to know him. But if you didn't read your Bible, it doesn't mean that you're falling away from God. He positionally has saved you, okay? And so you want to grow in his name. If we think that the spiritual disciplines earn us God's favor and approval, they will become distasteful duty or bitter pride. Do you understand what I'm saying? It'll become duty or it'll be prideful. Oh, I read my Bible all 365 days this year. Read through the whole thing. Look at me. Prideful. Or you'll have oh what was me? I missed a whole month. I don't know what to do. Like God's God God can't love me because I just I just can't get myself in line. No, that's not true. God loves you. He has saved you. If you were in Christ Jesus, then hook up your Bible, pray for forgiveness, and read His Word. It's really that simple. So instead, the spiritual disciplines enable us who have been made righteous by Christ to breathe more deeply the resources that God freely and lovingly provides for, his wis- for the wisdom, joy, and strength of Christian living. Spiritual disciplines are means, the means of grace, as well as the response to God's grace. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next 13 weeks, is focusing on spiritual disciplines and knowing God and Christ Jesus. Okay? Are there any questions? I've got no minutes. <laughs> no questions.
1: Well I was thinking part of spiritual uh, holiness growing in sanctification is refining your perception of what sin
0: actually is. Absolutely. And that's why because it,
1: kept "Bringing every thought captive
0: to, yep, the to Christ Jesus of
1: Christ. So refining that filter, if you will, as to what really sin is, mm-hmm. whether it's the evil part or not doing the good.
0: Yeah, sins <laughs> so of omission different. and commission. We'll talk about both of them. Do you have a question? Just very quickly. Yeah. Uh, when Christ had sacrificed for us and tore the veil, yeah. so we could speak directly to the Father. Absolutely. Sanctification, part of
1: that is that, is that a continued process of communicating
0: with him? Um, it It's a consequence. Our sanctification is a, like, ongoing sanctification is a consequence of that veil being torn. So... Uh, before we had to be sanctified and set apart by the blood of lambs and goats, right? And that those those were the con- that's what you had to do to know you were okay with God. But now, because the veil is torn, we can grow nearer to the Father through Christ Jesus and His work. Um, and that is that is directly dependent upon just being growing in Christ-likeness, is growing in His understanding understanding of who Christ is, what He's done and going to the Father.
1: Thank
0: you. You're welcome. I'm going to pray. I got to pray. Okay. They're like lining up at the door. Thank you, Forrest.